your little sister was super loud (laughs) because she had to be louder than four people. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Hug and a High Five. It's a mom and daughter podcast journal. I'm Ingrid, I'm the daughter. And I'm Vicki, I'm the mom. I'm trying to figure out how to be an adult. I'm trying to figure out how to parent an adult and live as an adult who is more than a parent. I live in New York City. And I live in Los Angeles. And this is Hug and a High Five. Top of the morning, Ingrid. Hello. (laughs) How's it going there? It's going better. It's less smoky, more blue skies. I was watching church this morning or recording on a Sunday, um, and the bottom of the screen kept popping up um, all of the temperatures um, of all the places that of people who had like clicked into the YouTube live stream to watch church. Oh, interesting. Which was really cute. So it was like the, the temperature for Chicago, and, and then it said LA, and it said 64 degrees. I was like, oh. I'm wearing long cool. sleeves. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. It's supposed to bump up to 100 again later this week, but mm. it's all right. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Side note, what this has done in the pandemic of how this brings people from around the world actually closer together, where we're maybe more distant from our neighbors in some sense, right. especially six feet and covered with a face mask. Right. But uh, a friend of mine said that he watches his church on Sunday morning live stream on Facebook. Uh, and then yeah, he does a watch party. And so all his friends from around the world, and he has friends from around the world because he has friends that like motorcycles. Oh. <laughs> so he has... They just travel. Yeah. So, and they, he notices when he's done a watch party, he has 20 people that consistently log on to his watch party. One from like the Middle East, one from Republic of Georgia, one from Uruguay, like all over the place. That's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Creates a little more just events to, to all pop into. It's nice. Well, it's, yeah, the way we used to watch consume media is we had to consume it at the same time, and then the next day you talk about it. But now that ha- that doesn't happen as much, but people are bringing mm-hmm. it back to be like, we're doing this live, so you have to watch right. it live. Although yeah. you can get the recording later, so. Yeah, you have both options. Well, Mom, this week uh, I started a new thing, mm-hmm. activity in my life, and it has re re-excited conversations that we often have. One of my favorite things about our relationship is our mutual excitement for and enthusiasm for um, education. Mm -hmm. And this week I became a quasi like homeschool teacher Mm -hmm. for a group of sisters because school is so weird in America this year as I I guess it's different in different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But at least here in New York, We've got a hybrid system where the kids go to school twice a week-ish, and then they're on Zoom for school the rest of the week. Mm -hmm. So mainly what I am doing now is being a kindergarten teacher for four hours on Thursdays and Fridays each, and uh, it's brought up a lot of conversations. So today we thought we would talk a little bit about that, especially in regards to resilient learning. Yes. It's a different connection that we have because I work with people in my brain training, learning skills specialist work on being resilient. So it's a great point of connection that we have. 
Do you want to explain to begin with just like what resilient learning is for someone who hasn't really heard that those two words together before? Well, it goes along with Carol Dweck's book, Growth Mindset. It's important to understand the I can attitude versus I won't attitude. So Mm. if something is hard, you can think, and sometimes parents and teachers impose this on children saying, my child, this child won't do it. But Mm. it's possible that they don't feel like they can. So helping kids understand I can, and even using the language, this is hard, but I will try. Okay, Mm -hmm. I'll try is useful. It's very helpful. So resilient learning is continuing to say, I can, I will try. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then acknowledging, totally acknowledging this is hard, but I'll try. Yeah. It doesn't take away the hurdle, but it acknowledges it and goes from there. Yeah. You have been in education for a long time and I got my bachelor of science in education, but I've pretty much only worked in middle school and high schools. So I was doing some research this month in preparation to help teach this five-year-old I'm working with. And I was so, I don't know if surprised is the right word, but it was so interesting to me to um, really read specifically through the state standards for New York kindergartners. These are all the things that they must know by the end of kindergarten. Mm. I'm sure these standards are pretty similar across the nation. But Common core, I was yeah. Specifically as, yeah, as New York. Um, mainly for two reasons. One, because kindergartners, I learned, most of their education is around like concepts, mm. just like introductory. This is the way that we have like established that we work with the world. So math, other than just like know your numbers, was understand that the number two, that symbol that we have named the number two, Mm. is a concept, it's a representation on paper of two objects. Mm -hmm. And the number three is the representation for another object in addition to those two objects. You know, like, can you visualize how those connect? Yeah. And then science, along with other things, talked about, like, understand that a globe is our physical representation of the earth we live on. Mm-hmm. Like what big concepts to try to like explain to a five-year-old. But also, side note, like we know that five-year-olds are some of the most imaginative and trusting beings in the world. And so if anyone was going to be taught that, it should be them. Because <laughs> they would yeah. be like, yes, like, of course, I have an awe for the world already. <laughs> And the other half of kindergarten, which is really what struck me for us to talk about today, is that in every single subject, there is an actual standard assigned to something to the effect of resilience. Hmm. I can get through it. I can keep going when things are hard. Mm -hmm. Can they stand back up and try again? How quickly do they give up? Mm -hmm. And I didn't even write them down in my standards as I was like highlighting specific ones to make sure that I hit throughout the year, in addition to the school. I mean, she has a full curriculum at the public school she get, is at. I didn't even write them down because I thought, oh, like that'll come naturally. Like we all like learn how to get back up. Right. But even on day one, I just, it just became so clear that, oh, this is a taught experience. You know, my, my little kindergartner, we were doing physical activities. I was assessing, can she balance on one foot? Like those kinds of kindergarten things as she figures out how to use her body. We finished it and I said, oh, good. Like we got our wiggles out. <laughs> she said, that wasn't getting wiggles out. That was work. <laughs> and I immediately was like, 
oh, like, okay, in your mind, if it's not fun for the sake of fun, it's work. How can we begin to like shift that as you begin school into longer term results and rewards a few times ahead? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a lot of the background for asking you in your experience, what are some helpful ways that we as teachers or as parents can cultivate this ability to get up and try again in our kids? Yeah, I've learned a lot about that over the years because instead of teaching regular school, I've always been interested in alternative education. So that's how I was initially connected right out of college with a learning center who worked with differently wired kids that were struggling with learning difficulties. So for me, it's always been more explicit. And as I'm taking uh, graduate school classes right now, especially the literacy class I'm taking, they're talking about how uh, when we teach literacy to kids that have difficulty with it, which a large percent of the U.S. population, I would say between 40 and 60 percent, has difficulty with literacy. And it's that we aren't strategic and explicit enough. And it's kind of comforting. And you ha- you had that when you were a kid, when we were able to sit down ex- and explicitly explain something to you. And one of the key words that we used uh, growing up was formative conversation. Nowadays, people might say it's a proactive conversation to talk about ahead of time. So you will explicitly say to your kindergartner, and you're kind of connecting the two for her. You're saying, this is work. But it's also getting our wiggles out and fun. So now we're we're adding, it's kind of, that's a logic skill right there. If A equals B and C equals B, then A equals C. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, kind right. of thing. So, just to reflect back right away, this is something that is helpful when beginning to teach your child how to try again or how to reframe the activity that they're going through is actually just to like state some things really clearly right up front. That's that's what you mean by the word explicit. Yeah. Because I do think, especially in higher education, which I've done a little more of, or secondary education, there's, there's a lot of like leading questions to get to like, how does this, what are you discovering about the world or your learning style? Mm-hmm. But for small kids, it does need to just be like clear inf- direction, clear feeling statement. It's interesting as we get further away from them, we sometimes we forget that kids like to know why also. They're, they're, oh, yeah. We hear them ask why when they're toddlers and preschoolers. Almost more than any other question. <laughs> why and no. So yeah. they want to know why. So we need to be explicit with that. And it might be a distant answer, you know, mm-hmm. so you can launch to a great future. That's like a way super abstract, distant answer. But it, it is something. Yeah, it's better than because I said so. Yeah. And, and I, I like to connect it back to them, especially with regard to reading. Because if mm-hmm. reading is hard, it's just like, ugh, I don't want to do this. Yeah. So I always connect it back to my kids. And I say, you have such a beautiful creative imagination and really important thoughts. And I want to know those. And I'm not going to get to know them all the time because 
you're not always going to be in front of me. So I would love to have you be able to write them down. Mm. And to write them down, we need a common way to communicate so I can understand what you're writing. So we need to be able to spell the words the same. Yeah. And I would love for you to be able to read what I think or what other people think in books. So having that conversation and surprisingly, you know, having that conversation more than once. Well, yeah. When I was a preschool teacher, we would teach a little short story, but we would frame the story every week with like the four common things. Like, this is the story. And, you know, whatever we said, we had the same common things that we said. Yeah. Just to remind them until it becomes a habit. Yeah. Well, that I think brings an interesting connection to actually to being explicit in um, your direction and in your encouragement. What I'm interested about that is that a lot of your explanation of why it's important is for like a self reflection and a, a self, like a sharing yourself with the world. So you're really mm-hmm. beginning with you are important and here's how you can like impart that importance to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also the fact that the kids really love that kind of a schedule. You read, read a different story every week, but you had that same like sort of mantra that you would say, say it every time. Mm-hmm. You're giving them the skills to then have that in their brain and, and to be able to actually think through those sort of steps later in their own education for comprehension, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it also actually is a place of, of expectation. We often are more willing to jump into something when we know that we can are going to succeed on the other side. And yeah. so even if we don't know we're going to succeed on the other side, if we do know a little bit of what's coming, mm-hmm. I know that if I get the, even if I get the answer wrong, the next thing that will happen is that she'll say the next question as usual. Yeah. There's something comforting and there's something in like the trust of the atmosphere that because we have mm-hmm. had these proactive conversations to begin with about this is how it works, the small challenges are affordable. Right. It also helps me, I get a lot of willing spirit from the clients that I work with by saying to them, we're going to do things in here that are hard, but I'm only giving them to you because I believe you can do them. And we, yeah. we might fail at first, but that shows us where we need to work. Mm-hmm. And I'm giving it to you because I believe in you. So it's going to be hard. I'm telling you up front but it's not so hard. And now I have this little five-year-old that I was like, can we do this? Can we do this faster? Can we become more automatic? Can I get your brain to click into gear in this way that it's not comfortable with yet? And he's like, I don't know, but I will try. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's the most beautiful statement. Because he believes that I'm not setting him up for failure. Not not like failure that he can't overcome like he knows he might he might fail at something but we don't stay we don't stick on that he he just he knows that I will support him if he can't do it I think that's so helpful it's helpful to think about it that way because I I do recognize that there's something when you don't set out to begin with that this is going to be hard there is something in the attitude of the child to look back at you and say you didn't do this right or like you set me up to fail Right. Like almost a like sort of innate, I'm going to prove to you that this isn't helpful enough or whatever. So it really kind of deflates some sales if you say from the beginning, 
I know this is hard. I am I as your adult who you are trusting to keep like keep yourself safe. Mm-hmm. Because that, in the end of the day, is what an adult to a child relationship should be in a healthy one. Mm-hmm. You're you're still setting up from the beginning. I know what the stakes are, so you can still feel safe. Yeah, it goes into that hierarchy of needs and what we've right. talked about a lot. The um, Dan Siegel, Tina Payne, Bryson. You need, like you said, to feel safe and seen and soothed and secure. And the other thing is before you start learning. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the yes brain growth mindset where I can do this, I will try. The other thing is the tremendous patience to Mm. let them struggle. Oh, man, yeah. Where that is the stumbling block for a parent. It's easier for a teacher than a parent. And that's all these parents that are homeschool parenting against their will (laughs) right? Uh, to wait. And I've had some parents sit in on my sessions and even a grandparent last week. And she was astounded at the time and the patience I had to wait for an answer for the person I was working with because I waited a long time and I would just wait silently. Okay. In the awkward silence. Yeah. Yeah. Because I could see he was thinking and he was coming up with the answer. And, and if we feed them the answers, then then they're like, it's learned helplessness. I can't do this by myself. I noticed that in my student this week also, we were sounding out three-letter, four-letter words, one-syllable words, you know, learning yeah. how to read. And she got through quite a few of them, you know, like nap and those kind of things, both because She's practiced the, that kind of sounding out before. She has two older sisters. She's ready to like be in the game with them. Yeah. But we got to the last word, and it wasn't one she un- she knew, or she wasn't one she could guess. And I noticed how quickly her eyes went around the room, and she just, like a, a hair of a second after I started each uh, sound, because we had been pointing at the word the letters together, right, for nap. Nap. And doing it together, and she was right there with me. It was interesting how quickly she was able to like try to sneakily slip back into the learned helplessness position of I don't have to look at this one because I don't know it anyway. So I'm just gonna like slip my sound in right after yours so that you're mm-hmm. like prompting me through the word. Maybe you won't notice that I'm not actually reading it, you know? <laughs> well, and a lot truthfully, I think a lot of kindergarten teachers do that. Also, either because they haven't been taught how to teach reading as well as other people and also the pressure of the classroom to get on to the next student because some students are much slower at comprehending sounds in the phonemic awareness inside words. And the child really needs to have somebody who can sit with them individually. Literacy is best taught one-on-one where you can wait and not give them the sound until they connect it in their brain. And the more times they retrieve it, the faster it'll come. Because my client will do that too. He'll wait mm-hmm. <laughs> until I give him the answer. And mm-hmm. seldom do I give him the answer. He has to retrieve it. If I give him a clue, I give him how it feels in his mouth. Mm. And that's where resilient learning also connects the whole body. And just... Uh, bringing it to their awareness, noticing, 
ooh, I saw you sit back there or you're looking around right now. Let's get our body back into this because that goes back to that explicit thing. Yeah. Just naming what's happening in the room. Oh, wow. That's metacognition, the fancy word, but thinking about thinking and Mm. noticing it and helping them notice, oh, my body is detaching right now because this is getting hard. So to be like, okay, we're going to stay in the game. And I'm going to give you a short sprint. Can you do this for 30 seconds? Can you do this for 15 seconds? Can you do this for three minutes? Whatever it is. Wow. That's, yeah, very helpful. And if if it gets hard, I give them an outlet physically, typically, especially a kindergartner. I'll say, okay, wait, we're kind of stuck right now. Let's stand up and do some cross crawls, which Mm. cross crawl is just elbow, opposite elbow to knee because it forces your brain to use both sides. You, in order to move your right side of your body to your left side of your body, you have to engage both sides of your brain. So if you're Wakes stuck... Wakes up a little differently. Yeah, if you're stuck, then moving both sides helps. Let's talk about formative conversations or proactive conversations a little bit more. That is one of the most helpful things I think that you did in parenting in general and definitely in education. But it doesn't na- come naturally. It takes some hard work on the front end, and it takes a lot of humility on the front end. Yeah. Maybe through st- like stories of our lives, because I was a slow learner for sure. I have mild dyslexia, and I was just a, like a slow-learning kid. Mm-hmm. What kind of proactive conversations did we have, or how did you, how did you think to, to create those with me? Well, the language I have around them now is just thinking about what lagging skills does a person have. And maybe it's not even lagging skills. Maybe like you have said, it's new information. This is a new concept. So with five-year-olds, there's a lot of new concepts. Yeah. So um, for you, like as a parent, mostly it was behavior skills. We're coming into this, we're coming into this setting. This is what I would like to see. And you talk about it in a non-emergent setting. So it's the right, not in the middle of things. Yeah, it's if I hadn't introduced something to you before, I usually let it play out as best as I could handle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. I thought I would make mental note. Okay, come back to that. Time to have a conversation about this. Remember when this happened last time? Yeah, and then let's make a plan for the next time it happens. Yeah. And now I know even more about those because I would give more power to you in the conversation. I would mm. I would I would be um, as Ross Green in the Lives in the Balance calls a, a problem solving team. <laughs> yeah, versus this is I'm laying down the law. Yeah, right. It's a, the, the difference between authoritative and authoritarian. So authoritarian ah. is I'm laying down the law. I'm I'm the dictator. <laughs> and uh, authoritative which is this is the way it's going to be and we're going to have a conversation about it. So saying things like this is the new concept we're going to learn. Yeah. And then being very explicit about it and linking it to why it's important right, to them right. as best as possible. One of my favorite thing about so many formative conversations is that they do give like a signal and an action hmm. for the, the student, maybe for both. My favorite example of this is actually in um, just the behavior of a very small child 
the way that you, I think we've talked, told the story before, the way that you planned with me when I wanted to interrupt you when you were having an adult conversation. Mm-hmm. That's one of the classic things about kids. They just come in going, Mom. And they're right. not really. Well, you evidently, I don't remember this conversation. Maybe you do the first time. Do you remember the, the first time that we sat down and planned out what we were going to do next time? We basically said it's not appropriate for you to run up and yell to me while mm-hmm. I'm talking to someone else. It's you, you have to be respectful, and I am ready. I'm always excited to listen to you. You just have to talk mm-hmm. about time and place. So here, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you an, a physical signal, which you decided was the sign language word for I love you. Mm-hmm. And if you see that, it's like your cue that you that I've heard you, that I love you, and that you need to wait your turn. Yeah. Which the lagging skill in that, mm. and it's across the board for everybody, is impulse control. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, true. I mean, that for both the child kids, and the parent. The kids are excited and they want to tell their mom and they want to participate. So, and moms want to talk to their child. And I do mm-hmm. find that often moms will begin with, let me just answer the kid real quick. And then all of a sudden, like, they will never be able to have a full conversation, which isn't really respecting their time either. Right. Yeah, it's helpful. So if I was going to be a problem-solving team with you, rather than just telling you, Mm. this is what we're going to do, I might ask you to say, hey, you know, this this behavior when you want to come and talk to me at the same time I'm in the middle of talking to somebody else or I'm listening to someone else, we need to learn patience and to wait our turn we need to learn to control our impulses you can teach a small kid big words oh yeah control our impulses to talk right on top of other people talking Mm -hmm. i wonder if there is something we can come up with where we both remind each other that we can wait we can that we see each other we acknowledge each other's presence but we can wait to talk until we're done talking to the other person in the conversation. Yeah, you mentioned something the other day when we were talking about this. What were the two phrases that you gave your parents about that? Wasn't the second one, I wonder? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wonder. That's what I just said. Yeah, I wonder if... I know, that's what made me think of it. What is the other one, though? What's up? You say, I, you say what's up. To a five-year-old, it's interesting. I'm not sure that I would say... I, I notice... That so you start out with an observation, right? I notice that you are coming and talking to me while I am talking to someone else or listening to someone else. Mm-hmm. What's up? I could say what's up to a child, but a child might not know that. No, I think you'd have to frame it a little differently. But the concept of what's up is the right concept to say, like, can we talk through? What's happening there? And maybe you can do that with a five-year-old to be more explicit because they don't have the skills yet to, like, come up with everything from prior experience. They don't have prior experience. You probably could say within that I notice, I notice that you're so excited to come talk Mm -hmm. to me, which is the what's up. Like, why are you coming and yelling? It's because you're excited. (laughs) Yeah, so that's the behavior. Yeah, excited to come and talk to me. And I love that you want to share things with me. The difficult part is to really identify and keep drilling till you find what the lagging skill is. Mm. And that's what parents and teachers would know better. 
You would know. So I know the lagging skill for a five-year-old is impulse control. Right. So I I notice you make the observation Mm -hmm. first. What's up? Is that's the second part of it? So you're not coming. Why has this happened? Yeah, you're not coming to the problem with a solution without hearing their side of the story because Mm -hmm. it might be different. Yeah. One uh, story I heard from Ross Green, who wrote The Explosive Child and has the Lives in the Balance website, is somebody said, my child won't let me brush their teeth with the electric toothbrush, which sounds like a lot of control to me. (laughs) And I've tried all the different flavors of toothpaste and they still won't let me do it. And finally, Dr. Green said, did you ask the child <laughs> what Why? their problem was? And the ch- he's, she's like, oh. So he went home and he said, so I've noticed you won't let me brush your teeth yeah. with a buzzy toothbrush. What's up? We've tried all these different kinds of toothpaste and you're still not letting me do it. And the child said, it's not the toothpaste. It's that I don't like the spray getting on my face. Oh, totally helpful. <laughs> Very helpful wow. information. Well, ah. Uh, Yes. So I was trying to solve a problem that I didn't know. That I had assumed. Yep. I made an assumption without asking you. So that's, I thought that was the most powerful example yeah. of saying, really hopeful, don't real assume world. the problem. That's really important that the what's up is this is a central question to have to answer before you can say, how can we solve this? And it's important yeah. that that's a question too. So you are a team. Which the whole concept of feeling seen, yeah. if a child has impulse, lacks impulse control and wants to be seen, they are loud. Your little sister was super loud right. <laughs> because she had yeah. to be louder than four people <laughs> yeah. and her louder than her sister. She wanted to be loud. Lo- you know, when she was little, she just was loud yeah. because <laughs> she needed to be heard. Uh, so, so... To acknowledge that. So I I kind of solved the problem for you by giving you the hand signal, but I put the I see you in it. Yeah. So I did tell you when I give this hand signal and I love you and you're important to me and I need you to wait till I'm done with my sentence and or done listening to the person Mm -hmm. telling me a story Mm -hmm. and then I will turn to you. Yeah. So I kind of, I did that without knowing all of the ingredients that go into it. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing about any of these conversations is that in general, we do have a lot of these instincts because that's really what we're doing is just naming the components of what it means to be kind. But it is a little tricky when you have been an adult for a long time to remember what it feels like to be kind to a kindergartner helpfully, you know. And how explicit you need to be. Right, exactly. Because again, for a five-year-old or a four-year-old, you you did have to just sort of like fill in some of those what's up gaps because you knew who mm-hmm. who I was and you knew me. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. about that for like educational formative, formative conversations too. Teachers do that in the classroom all the time. Every transition is a for, formative conversation. We've finished mm-hmm. our reading. Now we are going to go to our math. When we do math, we always take out our pencil and our piece of paper and we get ready to work on numbers. You know, all of those, that is a formative paragraph. <laughs> and truthfully, what I've learned in all of my neurodivergent training mm-hmm. is that transitions are the hardest. Yeah. 
because either kids get hyper-focused on what they're doing and they don't want to leave it, which is common, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's dual, or they're just interested in everything going on around them and they don't want right. to transition. Go to so transitions, is like, it's like the number one first thing to yeah. help children work through. One thing that I've noticed with my kindergartner so far is that um, she is actually often quicker to want to transition than I am. I'll have, mm. like, three activities f- like for, like, the physical time planned. And after number two, she's like, okay, time for math. Mm. Um, that is an interesting section of um, teaching resilient learning to, I, I think, what could help actually that now that I'm, I'm like, processing as I speak here. Uh-huh. To actually tell her at the beginning, we have three activities that we're doing within this activity, this sub-activity. Because I've written down in a nice list, which she's able to cross off every day when we've finished each section. Like, Mm -hmm. we have get our wiggles out. We have math as, like, different things. And she's very good about, oh, where's our checklist? We finished that. But I didn't tell her that within physical activity, I want us to balance and I want us to throw a ball and I want us to walk in a circle, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So after throwing a ball, she's like, great, I'm tired. <laughs> That's really helpful. Yeah. We, you and I have uh, different trainers that we watch yes. as we exercise. And we, our favorite one is the one that's, that's like, true. I have four sets of three activities each. Each activity is going to end in a plank. <laughs> that's so true. We like her the best. Even in our adult regular <laughs> exercise class. You're right. There's another woman who is probably the most intense of all of them, and she's awesome, but she is not really accurate on time, and is we talk about mm-hmm. how hard it is because she is trying to like challenge us to go longer, but we don't mm-hmm. know how long our fortitude is supposed to last, and so right. it's easier then to just give up while we... It, what it yep. is actually, if I think about it in my head, is like I'm going to give up now and jump back in because I'm assuming it's going to be long, but then when it's not, like I'm like, oh, I could have done the whole thing. It could have stretched. Right. Yeah. Our search capacity is depleted. <laughs> so, yeah, we it's so much easier when you know what's coming up. Like kids need the kids need to know they're much more concrete. Yep. So they're much more in their their left brain. And then if it becomes if you don't tell them, then it becomes the chaotic right brain. And that's and that's anxiety provoking and stressful. Right. But to help them recognize, ooh, sometimes we don't know what's going to come up. And we mm-hmm. can still work through that. Uh, that is a growth mindset right there. And to say, ooh, I'm, I'm starting to fade out right now. This is getting frustrating. And then, and then they can ask, how much longer do we have to do this? Mm-hmm. Or, and, and to let them know, you have a permission to ask. That's right. a good question. Right. Well, yeah. I hope this was helpful. It's definitely consistently helpful for me and mom to talk, just tell stories and continue to remind ourselves what's important. To have those formative conversations and with young kids especially for it to be really explicit and concrete, to Mm -hmm. ask what's up before you have a solution, and to know that when something comes up that you realize should have had a formative conversation, that it's okay to manage it for now and actually better Mm -hmm. to come back later. Exactly. Instead of trying to like create a formative conversation in the middle of stress because it isn't formative then. Yeah, it's seldom helpful. To be able to have that. We need to feel like we're on the same team. Again, we need to feel the safety in that hierarchy of needs first. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. It all connects. <laughs> and we can role play through it, which brings it back to acting. That's right. 
I mean, a lot of this <laughs> podcast has been role-playing back and forth. It's one of the most helpful things. It's been great. Well, I love you and grateful for this chance to think about resilient learning together. Yeah, me too. I love you too. Have a good week. Thanks. You too. Thank you for listening to Hug and a High Five. Yep, thanks for listening. If you'd like to suggest a topic, ask us a question, or share your mom-daughter story, please email us at podcast at gmail.com. That's podcast at gmail.com. All words, hug and a high five podcast at gmail.com. Have a great week. <laughs>